What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. I am joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy. We're going to do a little OUinsider.com podcast on the rundown. We got Riley Rattler time. We got two losses that could be coming Oklahoma's way. We'll see. Breakout players in this 2020 Corona season. And of course, I want to talk a bit about some recruiting and perhaps a dude that's going to reclassify, perhaps not. Kennedy and I are going to to chop that up. Colin, man, how are you doing? Oh, I am so well. I would just like to say congrats to everyone. Congrats, RJ, on the new gig with ESPN Radio. Thank you, sir. Congrats to everyone at home. We have football on the horizon. And congrats to me because I'm thinking about eating some barbecue this afternoon. That's <laughs> almost certainly going to happen. So I'm pumped, man. Let's talk some ball. My man. All right, so, like, we were actually – chopping it up about Conference USA and the Sun Belt because we were so excited mm. to have football on. And, you know, like, I'm going to have I'm gonna be triple screen tonight, right? Because I'm going to have the NBA playoffs on. I'm going to have on Southern Alabama versus USM, my mother's alma mater, Southern Miss. And I'm going to have on UAB versus Central Arkansas as the Bears are trying to go 2-0 in five days. Like, that, to me, is exciting. Like, the Bears didn't even go home. You know, they traveled up to Birmingham on Birmingham's dying. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they went straight from Montgomery to Birmingham, Alabama, where UAB has put them up and is paying for their test. Like, that's how bad they want football in the University of Alabama school system. I mean, hey, I'll toss this extra 20 if they need more uh, funding. I mean, like, I'm about football like that right now. I think we all are. No, no, like, I, I wish I was joking, but I am not. Also, adding here, I learned here recently that the UAB, uh, UCA Bears are the men's teams. Do you know what the UCA women's teams are called? I have no clue. The Sugar Bears. What? <laughs> I just, wait, yeah. I'm trying to do the math on this one real quick. I don't know. I don't know how we got there. Well, okay. I mean, like, I'll roll with it. I just, I don't know how they came up with that. All right. I'm with it. The sugar bears. And, you know, I would like to be a sugar bear. I, w- I, don't, I don't know why that has to be a, just the women's mascot. Also, do you have, like, a Care Bear running around? Is that what you got? I, I mean, hey, man. I, sugar bear, man, I'd be down to be one of those as well. I don't really know how I get there, but I'll try. <laughs> okay, so earlier this week, Lincoln Riley named the starting quarterback, and shocker, Spencer Rattler's the guy. But what I thought was Woo! most interesting about that, and because I want to get to Rattler and what he's expected to do, is that Tanner Mordecai missed like all but up to thirty percent of preseason camp. Like that's not good. Like, all right, just Rattler to the side for just a second here. Who's the number two quarterback? rolling with Mordecai still I think okay so the big thing for me here is the fact that Mordecai behind the scenes has secretly been someone who the program has kind of had to lean on I mean the guy was so important in getting Jalen Hurts assimilated in Norman and helping him get acclimated with the playbook not a lot of people know that but I mean it was Mordecai kind of provides the mentorship to Hurts and then obviously he's kind of been there every step of the way so he's had some time in the system and I think when his one true opportunity to compete for the starting job came around, I mean, adversity struck. And so that may be the case in the now, but in the future, I still believe that they're going to view him as QB2. That being said, I mean, I never really gave him a true shot to win the overall starting job, but I do feel like Mordecai is the kind of guy you want in that room as the backup moving forward. I mean, obviously – He's not maybe as young and dynamic as Rattler, and we'll talk about Spencer in tons of But for Mordecai, I think he's really underrated in the fact that he has some experience, maybe not on the game field necessarily, but a ton on the practice field. And he has had plenty of chemistry building with his teammates, and I think he's a guy who's well-respected. So as a result, man, I feel for Mordecai, it's really tough because, I mean, this it kind of felt like a real window of opportunity for him. And it slips away because of something like an injury. It's really unfortunate, but like Lincoln Riley said, man, that's a game of football. I wrote a piece about Mordecai on the day that Rattler was named the starter because I thought that was the more interesting story because of Cam Rising, right? Because people will remember Cam Rising 
commit to Oklahoma in August of 2017, I believe it was, and then flips his commitment to, no, in August of 2016, flips his commitment to Texas in April 2017, leaving a door open there. And that was a really interesting time because it felt like it could be Casey Thompson that walks through that door, which made everybody happy because that's Charles Thompson's kid. And I think that he's going to be the guy at Texas next year. But Mordecai takes that spot on June 1st of 2017. And then Rattler commits 26 days later to the 2019 class. So it felt like this has already been in motion for some time. And it really does suck to be Lincoln Riley's even-numbered quarterback. Like, that's that's what I get out of this. Austin Kendall. Yeah, I, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, man, it's like, for, for Tanner, real quick, like, the guy was winning a bunch of games at Estway in Waco. Like, I remember watching him at AT&T, and I thought, this guy's got some talent, but I think you're spot on here. Like, the guy's just always kind of been overshadowed, whether it be rising or the pursuit of Casey Thompson or the eventual commitment and then capitalization of Spencer Rattler. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's kind of the thing is, like, with Kendall coming in, it felt like that spot was going to be his given some time, right? Kyler Murray comes out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming, but at least he's older than you. And you're probably only going to get to see him play one year, if at all. And even then, it wasn't assured. And then we had Riley say out loud, it's the closest quarterback competition he ever had to judge, which we didn't believe. And now we certainly don't believe because 52 to 14 later on, but also during that year, Kyler was really great. One of just two guys to ever throw for 4,000 and pass 4,000. And then you bring in Jalen Hurts at a time when he is the heir apparent. Now with Mordecai, who has only played in half a dozen games, but probably had his best opportunity to win this job in bowl prep last year leading up to the Peach Bowl. And when Riley put Rattler in in garbage time in the Peach Bowl, that sealed it for me, right? That The quarterback competition was over, even as Riley wanted to let it play out over the next eight months. And then at the one opportunity you have to turn the tide to show that you have better control of this offense and are more trusted by your teammates – you can't play for one reason or another. And the way that Riley was being cagey, cagey about this only leads me to believe that he was in part of that COVID cluster because he's playing again and he's healthy again. And if he's the number two, great. But like Tanner Schaefer's that good, right? And I think we forget about that because he's a walk-on. But he's not lost a game that he started. He's 31-0 as a starter. And he's West Texas royalty. Like legitimately an awesome quarterback. And then there's Chandler Morris in there. So I just I felt bad for Mordecai one, and if I am the even numbered in even numbered quarterback, I don't know how I could actually commit to play at Oklahoma, because you're also setting yourself up to transfer, right? And what is the fate of most of the guys that transfer out of Oklahoma? Who's the best one? I mean, Drew Allen, maybe, maybe at Syracuse as a grad transfer. All right, will we throw Trevor Knight in there? Because we we wouldn't say it's going well for Austin Kendall. So like. What would you think would be the argument for being the even-numbered quarterback in a Lincoln-Riley system at this point? Uh, well, I mean, if Quinn Ewers isn't pulling the trigger, I don't think anyone can make that argument at this point, right? I mean, right. that's probably the most talented even-numbered quarterback we've ever really seen outside of, like, a Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, the guy still, with the pitch being sold to him, committed elsewhere. And I think that's going to kind of be the trend moving forward to this program. It's just something that then are going to have to accept. Like, there are a lot of very good quarterbacks that continue to shoot each cycle, but once you see that even number at the end of the list, I mean, you have to basically give up. I mean, Caleb Williams is coming in now, and, I mean, he's going to probably take a red shirt year and then basically assume kind of that Spencer Rattler role down the road. And so, I don't know, man. It's going to be fascinating to follow if and when they can break a trend like this that's forming. But I just don't see much of an end in sight right now, especially when you consider, again, the caliber of quarterback that Lincoln Riley can land right now. I mean, you have to assume not only that are they going to be out for basically those even number quarterbacks, they're going to be absolutely in it for the best of the best in those odd-year quarterbacks. So as a result, it's going to be so interesting to see, number one, obviously how they can break that trend if they want to, or number two, how they go about managing this 
in the concept of recruit moving forward. It's going to be, again, just one of the most fascinating things in college football recruitment right now. And I think as a result, honestly, it's going to lead to some very interesting recruiting battles, not only in the region, but in really the entire country. So from there, I do want to go to Rattler because there's a lot to like here. The first of which I have to point out, he's going to be the first guy to start for Lincoln Riley that he tapped out of high school. And that's a big deal for a lot of people as you're looking for things to pick on with Riley and his quarterbacks, which is to say that he's used somebody else's first choice to get what he wants. Now, you can spin that argument any way you want. You can spin it into... He's better at taking what you have and making it better, or his system and his ability as a coach is just that much better than everybody else. But what I think is really interesting beyond this being the first quarterback that he has actually tapped as the starting quarterback out of high school, it is that this is the first time we've seen Riley with his first choice at quarterback out of high school, right? Baker Mayfield was there when he got there. Kyler was coming out of A&M and got a, I mean, his coach called up Riley, said, would you consider it? And he's like, get him to sign a financial agreement right now. Kendall, we thought was going to be that guy, never got a shot. Chris Robinson didn't even make it past, like, spring. And then we're looking at Rattler going, is he going to transfer? Is he going to stay committed? Like, there was an A&M thing that popped up right before he was signing because that's what happens. And then there was, you bring in Jalen Hurts. Is that going to hold up Rattler? And then you have all of this ammo about, you know, Riley's just going to go into the portal. That's what he's done the whole time. And he tried to put the kibosh on that real quick, saying, if I didn't like our room, I would already go get a dude. I would go get a a grad transfer quarterback. But I like our room. Knowing all of that, and then knowing how the rest of the world believes in Riley and the five-star status of Spencer Rattler, because he's got the second-best Heisman odds of anybody in football now. Now, let's also add here, There are only 76 of a possible 129 FBS programs that are playing ball. But still, for him to have better odds than Ellinger, than Jamie Newman, who just opted out, than Mac Jones, who I think is best bet to lead Alabama to a national championship this year, speaks the world of what we all expect of him. So, like, let's talk about it. Like, 10 games, are you expecting him to pass for more than 3,000 yards in 10 games? Are you expecting him to put up more than 30 touchdowns in 10 games? I would say yes on both accounts. Like, and I'm not even really questioning the actual assumption of either of those statistical accomplishments. Because, I mean, like, I think anyone who has been around the program would tell you that at some point in time, they've been told just how, quote-unquote, special Spencer Rattler has looked, whether it be in practice or bowl prep. I mean, just the ins and outs dying to tell you just how good Spencer Rattler is going to be. And then, of course, I mean, you see all the social media videos. I don't put much stock in those, but I know a lot of people do. All you have to do is go look at those retweet and big numbers. But, I mean, for me, I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a lot on the table, and I think he's going to be able to accomplish whatever. Because I, I I thought it was really interesting. There's a conversation between two guys who I really like to listen to and, and observe their work in Martin Simmons and Bud Elliott. And they they basically touched on the fact that, okay, Spencer Rattler was the number one quarterback in the 2019 class. But he may have not been the number one quarterback in different cycles. But that being said, he may, in Barton's eyes specifically, be the most natural arm talent that Lincoln Riley has had enter his program. Now, I, look, I'm going to ride or die for Kyler Murray. I think that dude's my number one. But if this is the case, then I would have to assume that some of the statistical numbers we're going to see early on, even as a, what, redshirt freshman, are going to be pretty bonkers ridiculous. And then he's only going to further his success from that point. Looking at this season, I think there are obviously some question marks when we talk about the skill positions. There are, there's a veteran offensive line here. But when you really consider what's around Spencer and what you hear about him, I think it's pretty easy to say that this guy is going to be reaching some of those statistical numbers and maybe a few others en route to a pretty special I think he's going to stumble a couple of times, and that would be the reason why I'm not necessarily going to put in front of him passing for 3,000 yards in 10 games, though I know that's the expectation because his 
opener against Missouri State is going to be a good warm-up. You're going to beat them down. It shouldn't be close. You should feel good about yourself. You should probably go for over 300 and maybe get the hook, right, so that Mordecai can get in there and get some snaps. Then there's Kansas State. And the thing that I know about Kansas State is that they are very good at taking advantage of noobs. They're very good at tricking you into seeing something that isn't there. And as an example here, I'm going to look at Kenneth Murray Jr. First round draft pick by the San Diego Chargers and the talisman for OU's defense last year. Came out looking the part after two years of development, became the dude that I thought he could become and is running down De'Eric King, who might be the fastest dude not named Kyler Murray that was playing football in 2018 at quarterback. And what they did with Kenneth Murray in the Kansas State game was trick him into bad reads because he would see the guard pull, but the guard would fake pull, like shuffle step, and then he would mm-hmm. go. And yet that guard would come back up, and then you'd run your, your lead counter. And I was floored, one, by the execution of the guard, because it's one thing to put that in. It's another thing to pull that off. And I'm going, wait a second. If they can make that sort of m- magic happen, they can make that sort of misread happen for a Kenneth Murray Jr. who has spent two years prior and basically up to 30 games playing big-time college football, what are they going to do to Spencer Rattler when it comes to playing with his safety looks, when it comes to playing with a linebacker that is faking a blitz and then dropping back to play seven deep in coverage? Like That's why I am really interested to see what he actually knows as opposed to what his talent is because we're all floored by the talent. It's another thing to be able to diagnose the levels and to be able to keep up with the changing and rotating coverages that you're going to face. What, are your, what is your sense there of how he's going to be able to manage that? Yeah, so that's going to be the, the thing aspect of this. And I think, I think you're right on here. And I would bring up my side of the argument being that he's going to reach the 3,000 yards or 30-pound mark purely because, I mean, he's going to have to. If OU's going to win games this year, when you look at some of the running back depth issues, I feel like a lot's going to be on his shoulders, and I think he's going to reach those statistical marks because of what he's going to be asked to execute. But as a result, that's, that's going to put him in those difficult positions that you're talking about. Is he going to be able to go out there and execute against some really underrated defensive coordinators who their whole life have basically trained to try and stop the pass? And I think you, you talk about Kansas State. The Iowa State-Texas-TCU gauntlet there will really tell us a lot about what Spencer Rattler can provide from a mental standpoint because all three of those guys calling defense and all three of those programs with the level of talent they have defensively are going to challenge him. And as a result, if he can get through those three games while showing us he is able to read coverages go through his progression, and get the ball to the right guy, then, yeah, I will have a ton of confidence in the fact that he's going to be able to blow it up. But that being said, I mean, it's way easier to say that than to actually do. So I think he's going to be able to do some good things. I think, obviously, like you said, Missouri State, you can kind of throw that game out. But it's that Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, TCU gauntlet, specifically against some of those defenses, that's really going to tell me how he's going to be able to handle himself in the pocket this year. I'm fascinated to watch it, but as a result, I think we're going to really learn what this guy's mental makeup is moving forward. You brought up a really good point here with the four games in a row that are going to test not just Rattler, but this entire OU team the most on their schedule with Kansas State, Texas Christian, Iowa State, and Texas all being played right within the first five weeks of the season, if I have that correct? I've got to look this up. Make yeah, sure. man. Are you, are you, okay. It, it's got, so they got a break between Texas and TCU. They'll have okay. the bye week there. Okay, so I, I put TCU. But then they have TCU and Texas Tech on the road. That's right. Okay, so I put TCU in front of, okay. What I woke up to this morning, and because I'm a college football junkie and I'm a sports nerd, I subscribe to a number of newsletters that I read religiously just because – the way that we're able to do this job is not just the reporting, but by reading as much as we possibly can to formulate our own opinions and analysis. But team rankings has been pretty good about predicting, right? Them along with Bill Conley and his SP, 
have been really great. And the newsletter I got this morning predicts Oklahoma going 8-2 and two with losses to Iowa State and Texas. And I wondered, like, okay, what is it about Iowa State? Because I've said that that's a trap game, but it's been a trap game because of how Oklahoma specifically has played Iowa State the last three years. I mean, you take the loss in 2017, right, to a really good Matt Campbell team that's got a quarterback that had no business throwing for over 300 yards in Charlie Kemp doing exactly that. Then the next year, they, they basically take Hakeem Butler and abuse you with him, but okay. And then in 2019, they had their best offensive year since 2002. They put up over 400 points for the first time since 2002 in a season, and then there's Brock Purdy who ascended. He took the he took the leap, right? He had took the jump, as we say, throwing for 3,982 yards, just 18 yards shy of a 4,000-yard passing season. In addition to, yo, man, he made the wrong read on the two-point conversion play because if he throws to another tight end and not the one he threw to, we're not talking about Parnell Motley breaking it up and turning it into, you know, it's not a pick because it's two-point conversion, but we're talking about Iowa State beating Oklahoma in Norman, a la the 2018 season where Oklahoma State nearly beat Oklahoma and Norman on a failed, what would have been, game-winning play in the end zone. So of these four games, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, and Texas Christian, are you the most terrified of Iowa State, or is it one of those other three teams? For me, it would be Iowa State Mm -hmm. off the jump. Because I think... To say that Texas is the biggest threat is kind of a crutch take, in my opinion. Throw everything out when it comes to that football game, right? But for me, my take has been, okay, you mentioned some of the ups and downs when it comes to facing the Iowa State Cyclone. But, I mean, when you really look at it, they lost to Kemp at home. They they struggled with Zeb Nolan running the offense for Iowa State back in Ames. And then, obviously, Purdy was right there, but he was on the road, and he was still fairly young. My take has been, okay, you're going on the road to Ames for the first time in a while, and last time that Oklahoma did, it was not pretty. You are seeing Brock Purdy in his first upper-classing season with some incredible talent around him. I mean, Brees Hall, Tariq Milton, Charlie Collard, the list goes on and on. Like, this guy has weapons. He's more comfortable. He's seasoned a little bit. And I think the defense for Iowa State coming back also has some guys. I mean, Jaquan Bailey is always very underrated. He's back. Greg Eisworth, I think, is back as well. So bottom line here, Iowa State is getting Oklahoma just three weeks at home with a young quarterback over there, and they're probably going to be facing Oklahoma in still that suspension window. So not only is Oklahoma going to be missing, obviously, Kennedy Brooks or some of those other guys who have left the program like C.D. Lamb, Kenneth Murray, whatever, but they're also going to be facing Oklahoma potentially without Ronnie Perkins, Ramondre Stevenson, Agent Bridges, guys who figure to play some pivotal roles on this squad. If that is the case, especially if Iowa State is able to allow more fans at that point in the year, I would probably smash the upset button. I mean, I think Iowa State's in a great position to capitalize on some early miscues by the Sooners. Because let's be honest, I mean, this is a younger squad. And I think we've both had the take that, okay, there's a chance for some real parity here in the Big 12 Conference. And maybe that's the first domino that falls when Oklahoma travels to Ames, Iowa. I'm not telling you right now, hey, the Cyclones are going to absolutely get Oklahoma because I want to see what the two can put together on the field. But for me, I would be absolutely the most concerned with Iowa State at home with their extremely talented quarterback heading into his upperclassman season with some talent around him facing an Oklahoma team that may be down a few men and still learning its identity. I think it's a fascinating storyline to follow. And to be quite honest with you, even if Iowa State doesn't get them, I mean, that's an absolute gauntlet because then you got Texas right after that, obviously, that week. TCU and Texas Tech on the oh, don't sleep on that as well because I mean if they get Alan Bowman back healthy Bowman had OU on the ropes last time the Sooners traveled to Lubbock so Iowa State could either absolutely upset the Sooners in that position or they could at least trigger a little bit of scare moving forward the rest of the season. 
I'm going to pick Texas Christian, right? Because Texas, like you say, it's a, it's an easy pick. It'll probably be a pick that's made by dudes that don't actually talk about the Big 12 very much and don't actually know much about the Big 12, which is fine. And if we're talking about teams that are on the way up, you can look at everybody but Kansas and West Virginia and make a pick and, and make a really great argument for how that team could beat Oklahoma, even as Lincoln Riley's got five rings on one hand for the last five years. That said, I look at Texas Christian, and I see Trevor Murray. I see Garrett Wallow. Marcel Brooks is in practice, if not cleared to play or getting the, the waiver to play, and it seems like only these quarterbacks are getting these waivers to play. And then you know about J.D. Spielman. You've been very high on that as a dude that they got. They got Tay Barber, and they got Zach Evans back there. And that game is in Eamon G. Carter. Like, that game's in Fort Worth. Now, we'll see what the fan turnout is like, but being able to not have to travel, or I should say not having to travel, is a big deal, even if you are Texas Christian. And I just love Gary Patterson's defense. Like, I just love how they deploy that third safety. I just love that they can get after people with four down linemen, and they always give Oklahoma a problem. Like, Jalen Hurts is a Heisman finalist and was second in the voting last year with 3,800 yards through the air and nearly 1,300 on the ground, and he played the worst game against Texas Christian at home based entirely on the looks that they were able to present to him and how good they were at getting past his offensive line, which was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. I, I think that Iowa State just doesn't have enough talent, even as you name-checked a bunch of dudes that I feel like have been playing there for 10 years, like Greg Eisworth and Jaquan Bailey, <laughs> right? And Mike Rose. I mean, good God. But also, you know, Brees Hall is going to be a great tailback in this league if he hasn't already supplanted himself as, as that dude. And I, I like John Haycock's defense, but, like, outside of Charlie Kolar, he's your only superstar on that team. He's, he's an All-American, right? Brees, an All-American according to the AP. All I know is Texas Christian continues to put dudes in front of us that get drafted in the first round. They continue to over-recruit these dudes that, I should say, under, uh, are under-recruited by others. And one of the things that it was put, I was put on game with, and I hadn't thought enough about this, Texas Christian identifies talent that is under-trained and undernourished. Because you'll remember L.J. Collier coming out of West Texas. His best offer before Texas Christian was Texas Tech, and I think they wanted to play like the offensive side of the ball. Gary Patterson looked at him and said, he's a defensive end. And he put on 40 pounds, and he got faster, and he got in front of a training table, and he could go. Ross Blacklock comes back from injury. He's a you know day two pick. We had not talked word one really well about Jalen Rager, and he's off the board in the first round. You know, and we continue to look at the cornerbacks that he puts out, guys like Nico Collins and Trevor Moring and even Jason Verrett back in the day. Those dudes could play. So I'm circling a Texas Christian game, especially if Oklahoma is undefeated, because then they'll be feeling pretty good about themselves, and Rattler might not know what it means to be this good this early. So that's the one that I would be paying the most attention to. Um, no, it's a fascinating conversation. I want to get to the breakout players now that we expect to – Come out, show us a little something-something at Oklahoma this year. So, like, I want to pick an offensive one and a defensive one, and I got them coming out of my ear. So I'm really interested to see what guy on the offensive side of the ball are you most excited to see this year that could have a breakout season? I am going to go with a guy who, towards the end of last season, really started to see a ton of meaningful targets, specifically in the red zone. I think the world of this dude – I think it's only a matter of time before he really explodes. And it sounds like, by all accounts, this could be that year. I'm going with Braden Willis. I think that this guy at the back position, obviously Austin Stogner is going to be that major cloud. But I think Stogner is going to be seeing a couple of different roles. And as a result, that kind of opens a window of opportunity for Braden Willis to step into. I think, obviously, if you know anything about Braden Willis at home, the guy played at Arlington Martin, a very good program in the state of Texas. And he did literally everything, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tucked in. He was probably fixing the stadium lights on the afternoons. I mean, the dude, anything you ask him, he can accomplish it. He got in the program. He's got bigger, faster, stronger. He's incredibly athletic as it is. 
And I think as a result, Lincoln Riley leaned on him a little bit towards the end of last year because he saw a guy who really can do anything you want him to do in crunch time. Taking that into consideration with another offseason under his belt, I think Braden Willis is headed for a very accomplished season. And he's going to fit right into that H-back role in a year where they're going to need to utilize some check downs or some quick throws to help out Rattler, a young quarterback. I think Braden will definitely benefit from this. And as a result, man, I mean, he's going to have a very special season. I can't wait to watch it. I think there are a number of people that are going to put Stogner in that spot. So I'm in, I'm really intrigued that you go with Braden Willis there. Also, we need to add that position is still healthy. And that position has not had any opt-outs. Like that H-back position might get a lot more run than people are re- expecting it to get precisely because they just don't have dudes everywhere. You're light at tailback. You're light at wide receiver. You could be light by, at offensive line, depending on whether or not somebody contracts the COVID. And yet, steady as she goes, is Braden Willis, is Austin Stogner, is Obi Obialo, is Mikey Henderson, you know, is... Jeremiah Hall. Right. You know, who's probably going to start at that position uh, in a two-back set. So, no, that's a very interesting pick, and I, and I like it. I like the quarterbacks coming out of high school. They usually show me something worthwhile. On the offense side of the ball... I'm going to go with Marcus Major over a TJ Pledger. Tell you why. I'm having a conversation with someone who has been following OU football and OU running backs for some time and, and coaches for a living. And the way that he had talked about Major to me was to say, RJ, you don't understand. The kid from Millwood is the best tailback on the roster. I said, well, you know, Kennedy Brooks opted out. I didn't stutter. The best tailback on the roster is Marcus Major, the kid coming out of Millwood, a Falcon. And I said, man, I want to believe it because, you know, I, RJ will stand for the North Oklahoma City kids. Like, Star Spencer, Millwood, got my whole heart. Douglas got my whole heart. Booger T and, and, and North Tulsa got my whole heart. McLean, so forth. And he's saying, watch. I know that they're probably going to start TJ Pledger. But if Marcus Major gets the same opportunities that Trey Sermon got in 2017, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Because that's the way that people were talking about Trey Sermon at the time was, yo, that's the dude. We don't understand what this Rodney Anderson cat is. And then Rodney Anderson became who he was. But Trey Sermon is the guy. That's the way that people are talking about Marcus Major. And the fact that we haven't actually seen him play football is even more intriguing to me. And we're talking about breakout stars, right? We're talking about guys that haven't had opportunities in the way that they're probably going to get opportunities in 2020. And I'm really excited to see what that running back group does because all those dudes got to play. You know, TJ's got to play, and Marcus has got to play, and Seth has got to play. Like, Ramondre, we, we're still waiting on him to get cleared, right? If he does, and I, I don't know that he will. I, I'm expecting for Ronnie Perkins, Trajan Bridges, and Ramondre Stevens to be out for the first four to five games of the season, and then there she goes. But I guess some honorable mentions in here. Got to be Theo Weiss, right? Because we don't know we're oh, getting yeah. out of Theo Howard, even as he seems to be cleared to play and he's going through practice. And Obi Obialo is somebody, I don't know what, the, I, I put him in that H-back tight end spot, but it remains to be seen. And I'm, you know, this is all pending. Charleston Rambo just is Charleston Rambo. So like, who are we missing in there? Who are you watching for? Even on the offensive line, like Bray Walker or, or somebody of the sort. Yeah, I think Bray Walker is a really interesting pick. I, I For me, like, I also think about breakout as in taking the next step. And for me, I think Marquise Hayes going into this year has a lot to prove. Hmm. I think, obviously, getting that first year last year, there were ups and downs, right? I mean, obviously, he had that highlight style of block in the West Virginia game, basically saving Jalen Hurts for a touchdown throw to TD Lee. But, I mean, also, he obviously racked up a ton of personal fouls and some unnecessary calls with his aggression. I think going into this year, I, this is going to be Marquise Hayes' opportunity really break out in the national stage because I think he has all-American caliber talent. It's just about putting it together. And it, last year being his first year as a starter, I think for me, going into this season, He's going to have a lot to prove, and I think he will really prove himself as one of the better guards, not only in the Big 12 Conference, but in the nation. So I'm excited for that. You mentioned Theo. I'm really interested in what Theo can bring to the table. 
But I, I, I really, you took another one that I was really thinking about the other day because I wrote a piece on him when he transferred. I mean, Ovio Viallo, like, no one is talking about this guy. But at, at Marshall, if you go put on the tape, this guy was a jump ball master. And, I mean, he's, what, 6'3", 200-and-something pounds. Just what you want as a perimeter wideout who could potentially slide inside. Fascinating what Obiallo is going to be able to bring to the table, especially because, again, there's been some injuries in the wide receiver position, and the depth concern could open up an opportunity for Obiallo that I don't think we're really giving him enough credit for. So I'm fascinated to see what some of these guys can bring to the table this year offensively, and it'll be interesting to see if these guys can come together and uphold the standard on that side. So on the other side of the ball, I'm interested to hear your take because uh, I'm gonna I'll go first on this one because I the easy pick is Deshaun White. Now I, I understand there's a lot of people that want to talk about Deshaun White in the same way that we might talk about Curtis Lofton. He played the one year, he had a great year, he goes to the NFL. I'm excited to find out which one of these ends and which one of these will linebackers step up, which is to say that give me all the Marcus Stripling stock you can hand me. That dude coming out of high school was one of the fastest guys I've ever seen get off the ball at his position. I watched him go against Evan Neal at the opening final in 2018, and he was killing him. And Evan Neal is going to be a first-round draft pick at Alabama. He's that good. When Stripling got opportunities last year, he looked great. He looked stupendous. And now that you're down Ronnie Perkins, and you're down Marcus Hicks, which is not— I mean, it's a bigger deal than you think because that dude is a monster if he's healthy and he just hasn't been the last couple of years. But that's one that I can't wait to see because winning him over Texas A&M was not a small thing in 2019. I mean, the way that Riley closed out the defensive recruiting without a coordinator cannot be over overstated. I mean, we're talking about Jeremiah Cradell adding in there, that dude that I thought was going to go to Oregon, and they were going to have an outstanding defense. And then... I want to know if Brian Asamoah is as good as I've been led to believe because all the talk is Brian Asamoah at Will Linebacker. And I'm going, guys, this dude, we weren't even sure if he was a linebacker a couple years ago. He's playing running back coming out of high school, right? He's That's what his position is. And it's like, no, dude, we understand him to be this guy. And I said, didn't you drop Robert Barnes and Jamal Morris down there expressly to get these reps? And Brian is beating them. We're getting competition. This is the way that it works. So I'm going to go with Marcus Stripling and Brian Asamoah because I just believe in the reporting that I'm doing and I believe in the people I'm talking to. What do you got? I'm going to go with an interesting one. And I think it's a guy, again, who hasn't necessarily been given his due. But he played a pivotal role early on. And I think he's really headed for something special moving forward. I'm going with Jaden Davis. Like Jaden Davis was a guy who... Early in the year, got some meaningful snaps, created a turnover, if I remember correctly. And then if you will also remember in the Texas game, when they first utilized that dime package, it was Jaden Davis who they used as that dime guy. And he early on showed flashes of greatness. But then, of course, I mean, he went through the natural ups and downs of being a young player. I feel like I'm the leader of the young players going to struggle party. I feel like I have to constantly remind people that that's something that's going to happen. But as a result, I mean, these guys learn from stuff like that. And so going into this season with Parnell Motley leaving, with Justin Harrington going down to injury, some of these other defensive bets like Trey Norwood or, or Trey Brown being asked to do a lot more, maybe this is Jaden Davis' opportunity to really provide some meaningful snaps. I think, again, he's a really good player. And he's got that Florida aggression that you want a defensive back. He's just still learning the game. And I think if he's had a really good offseason and he feeds off of what he was able to accomplish and learn in 2019, he's headed for something really, really special in 2020. And then that would go to the other defensive back pick that I've got because obviously you touched on guys in the front seven. Jeremiah Cordell, man, like how is this dude going to factor in? Because he has worked his tail off to get to this point. I mean, one of the most stronger work ethics that I've seen from an OU player, I'll never forget real quick story about him over two hours before kickoff out in Bedlam. I mean, the starters are just kind of out there messing around, stretching. People always make fun of me for up super early to football games. So I'm out there with them. But on the far side of the field, 
the only one who is grinding and getting into some drills and training is Jeremiah Cordell with Gay Will Johnson. And I think in that moment, I said, okay, Cordell's got a chance to be something like next level because the dude, he knew he wasn't playing almost at all in that year. But he constantly showed up and grinded. And by all accounts, this offseason, he's taken a step. He's able to put it all together. I mean, Oklahoma's got two defensive backs that I'm really excited about. And those are just two names of a stable of young defensive back guys who are on the come up right now. I think that that Jaden Davis pick is a sexy pick because he's so smart. Like, Yes, young guys are going to struggle. Like, that's what it is. Even five stars. And people get all, all sorts of upset when a five-star true freshman plays like a true freshman as opposed to what we project him to be in his third year when he's draft eligible. But, I mean, one, Cradell is a monster in his own right, but from a physical standpoint. He's got all the tools. I talked with Jaden Davis, and I learned something about football. That's not regular, right? Like, I know a lot about football. I don't know everything about football, and I certainly am learning something new every day. But it's rare that a 16-year-old kid can talk me through leverages and coverages from the standpoint of the slot, the field, and the boundary and tell me exactly what I'm looking at and why it makes sense. That's who Jaden Davis is. He's so smart, and they put him at corner at the outside, but I could just as easily see him moving inside. He's just so valuable out there. No, I really like that pick because... He's so cerebral in that he'll know where the quarterback wants to go with the ball, and he'll get there first. And he's got enough natural ability to make up for any mistakes that might occur. I mean, that's what we're really looking at when we're talking about corners is, can you actually make up the ground? Because even if you're right, you're going to have to make up the ground. And if you're wrong, you're going to have to just be that much naturally quicker and able to maneuver your body to get between the ball and the receiver while also whipping your head around so you don't pick up a personal foul. Like, no, that's a really great pick. Um, I want to do a little bonus round here, okay, Colin? I didn't, I didn't prepare, prepare Colin for this, and I kind of sort of didn't prepare myself for this, but I want to do it anyway. There is one story in college football right now that you are so excited about to see how it plays out. What is the story that you want to see? And to give you a little bit of time to think about this, I'm going to go first. Jamie okay. Newman opting out of playing in the 2020 season at Georgia is a tremendously big deal to me. It's not as big as the Big Ten Ohio State story, which I have covered all sorts of ways on my channel, but like, it's bigger because Georgia is expecting to compete for a national championship this year and the SEC championship. And all thoughts were, store brand Cam Newton was going to get them there along with Todd Munkin, modernizing the offense and bringing in some concepts that are air raid-ish and developing that group of wide receivers into the kind of guys that can just be outstanding and great. George Pickens, we know he's going to be good, but that running back group of Zamir White, of Kenny McIntosh, of Kendall Milton, of Dajan Edwards, of James Cook is elite. And then you're going to have to replace three starters on the offensive line. Matt Luke's going to have to do a job that Sam Pittman was doing. But knowing that he's gone now, I'm waiting to see not what JT Daniels does, but what Dwan Mathis does, because I'm telling people to buy all the stock you can in Carson Beck, because I believe backing the Beck is a great way to go, because he was that good. This is a guy that was committed to Alabama that Kirby actually flipped. But he did that with Jake Fromm, and Jake Fromm was a great college quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a great NFL quarterback, even as at one point I did. Now, Dwan Mathis is getting so much more noise than I expected him to get, even when Jamie Newman was still a part of the team and healthy. And knowing that you have a five-star or former five-star in JT Daniels, who was really good as a true freshman, throwing 2,600 yards, 14 tutties, 10 picks, and then they changed the offense to one in which Keaton Slovis could actually go through, is big to me because I watched Dwan Mathis in warm-ups at Sanford when I went down there for the Notre Dame game. And he's enormous, and he wasn't clear to play football because he's still coming off of like legitimate brain surgery. But he's so long and he's so athletic that they just have him out, out there just playing catch. And you know this, Colin, when you see some of these guys just out having fun and or just playing catch and going, I can't do that. The way that they are just able to move their bodies, the way that the ball f comes when they're actually just throwing it around, the way they make these one-handed grabs like it's nothing, like they're just out there playing, is so much fun. And with a week one matchup against Arkansas, an Arkansas team that all of a sudden feels really good about playing Georgia and LSU, or I should say, 
better than they felt last week with Jamar Chase opting out, with Tyler Shelvin opting out, with Kerry Vincent opting out, with Ed Orgeron's entire team seemed to lose faith in him. Like, they march on the president's office. He doesn't know what's happening. And now with Georgia actually scrambling to try to make sure that their, we think, number one choice in JT Daniels might be cleared to play, Juwan Mathis is lying in wait. And he might actually get a shot, which is another way of saying, if JT Daniels stumbles, I expect to see Juwan Mathis because he adds the element to their offense that Jamie Newman did and that JT Daniels does not. He can move and make things happen when the play breaks down. He's a guy that can turn a 17-yard loss into a 37-yard game, which is the reason that I love guys like Jalen Milrow. It's the reason that I love guys like Kyler Murray. Your best player needs to have the football as much as he possibly can. And if your best player is also your best athlete, that's the kind of football that I want to run. So the most interesting story for me right now is Dwan Mathis at Georgia and what he turns out to be in the SEC and how that could shape the race for the SEC championship and that college football playoff berth that they are inevitably going to play for. So now that I have expressed myself on that, what's the one that you are most excited to see play out? I am most excited to see just how right I'm going to be about LSU this year. I mean, they have a chance to be pretty darn bad. Like, don't get me wrong. I think they're going to win a couple of games. But, I mean, their ceiling continues to drop with, obviously, Jamar Chase, Tyler Sheldon. The list goes on and on, opting out. And there could be more on the way. Next thing you know, if this team – they runs into some COVID-19 situations or injury issues. I mean, I think that there's going to be a real exposure process in terms of some of the issues that that squad has, depth-wise, experience-wise, especially going up against some SEC-caliber opponents. I'm obviously very high on Alabama, you are. I think Georgia, to me, is still contending for a number-one spot in the season, and Florida – I'm still going to roll with the Gators as a really fun team this year. But, I mean, they, they go on and on. Like, they got to go travel to Auburn this year. I mean, I think they're at Texas A&M as well. The LSU Tigers going into this year may be the most unknown squad in the history of, like, <laughs> post-national championship winners. I have no idea what I'm going to get with the LSU Tigers this year, but I know it's probably not going to be as good as what it was last year, and I know it's probably not as going to be as good as all these quote-unquote national experts have them at. I mean, to me, I thought ranking LSU at like as high as six was absolutely criminal, and now the fact that they're going to be a little bit exposed this season, I think I'm very excited to see what we actually get from the LSU Tigers this year. I'm really excited to gloat about it. I am too! I am too, because as I've said... <laughs> They got more new faces than an integrated high school. Like, don't know any of these cats beyond recruiting, right? So, like, we and uh, you and I, we follow these kids basically from the days they turned 14, 15, all the way through the NFL draft. And yet, I look at their roster, and I see dudes, right? I see Trey Palmer. I see Racy McMath. I, I see John Emery. You know, I, I see dudes. You know, I see Elias Ricks. Mm-hmm. I see Cordell Flott. Derek Stingley Jr. is a known commodity at this point. But my God, like, I've never seen such an exodus. They lost 35 players off of last year's squad. They returned five starters from not just the offense and the defense, but special teams. Like, five total. We're talking about dudes that were starting on kickoff. That's where we're down to actually acknowledging. And you got a new quarterback that was so bad that you brought in Joe Burrow to play for two years. Like, there was no pushing him out of the way. There was only, hey, Miles, it ain't you, dog. And now they have to let Miles play. Or they got to throw Max Johnson or TJ Finley in there, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but not what you want to do. I'm with you. Like, I've said for an entire year now, or I say a year, eight months, LSU could catch five losses this year. And that has never felt more true than it does right now with an opener against Mississippi State and Mike Leach. Like, they haven't. The SEC has never seen or heard the air, uh, the air raid experience. I am so excited for them to be in air raid hell, particularly in the SEC West, because they think they know what they're going to see. They think they can out-athlete this scheme. And then 
Mike Leach and KJ Costello are going to drop 500 yards passing on your head on 80 attempts. And I'm so excited to see what Bo Pelini does on the sideline when he sees his 4-3 get lit the hell up by five wide every single down. Like, I'm, yes. I don't like LSU this year because of how good they were last year. That's just it. Like, if you're going to prove to me that you can reload and that you're the new Bama or the new Clemson, now's the time. But like you, I'm not buying it. No, man. And now, again, Arkansas is looking at their schedule going, wait a second, we have an opportunity to make history. We have the toughest schedule in the history of college football. What if we stack a win, not just, you know, on a Georgia team that's down a quarterback, but on, on the defending national champs? on an Ed Orgeron who got up in front of a podium and said, hey, uh, we're not going to gloat about beating Arkansas. They hadn't beat anybody in a long time. Yo. Like, I get it. Arkansas has been bad basically since John L. Smith. But, man, do they ever just want to snatch a, a pelt right now. Like, I just, ooh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Like, LSU is going to have to actually get it as much as they gave it last year. Um, Colin. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we did not talk about? That's about it, man. Honestly, maybe the most excited thing I am now is to talk about this is just to see angry Bo Pelini again. Like, do me a favor and make sure that guy is on the field because I want a camera following him 24-7 every single snap. Man, that is Colin Kennedy. Catch him on the Twitters at CKennedy247. That is CKennedy247. He is dropping news and notes daily on OUinsider.com. The VIP board has more pin threads than anybody else in the network because Brandon Drum, Colin Kennedy, stay on top of this stuff 24-7. I'm there lurking, responding, and really just trying to create some discussion from time to time, but these dudes are animals. Subscribe to the podcast, right? Uh, OUinsider.com podcast. Rate it, review it, leave us five stars. Y'all, VIP subscribers, make this podcast go. Uh, Yeah, that's going to do it for us. We will catch you guys next week to talk about OU and Missouri State. Deuces.